Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the joy that you bring to our hearts and our lives. The joy that we celebrate this morning in worship. The joy that we hear of your work going forward in our town, in our city. Lord, we bless this adult and teen challenge mission and all that are involved. Lord, we pray your kingdom to come in and through them, we pray, as they bring hope in our city. Lord, we thank you that you invite us into new relationship with you. And we pray that our hearts would be refreshed, Lord, by the truth of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is a, a when Brian and I were doing our podcast, there was, we were going through different quotes about Advent, and reflecting on those, and one of them was uh, this very short quote. It's almost a bit of a poem. It talks about the three arrivals of Jesus. It said, he came with love to Bethlehem, he comes with grace into our souls, and he will come with justice at the end of the world. He came with love to Bethlehem, and we celebrate that each Christmas, his arrival in Bethlehem. This fall and next spring, we've been studying Revelation, which is his coming with justice at the end of the world. But today, we live between the two Advents, and I want to think a little bit about him coming with grace into our souls. And in our reading from John, there's three key actions here that I want to focus on that are all about coming to know God's grace in our hearts, Jesus in our hearts. Three key actions, confession, cleansing, and keeping commandments. I want to talk about confession first. Confession, cleansing, and keeping commandments. Verse 9, one of my favorite verses. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession. Confession's about honesty. It's about acknowledging and naming reality before God. I think we'd say as Christians, there's really nothing good that comes out of hiding or dismissing our sin. But as we confess our sins, as we are honest about the failures in our lives, Jesus forgives us. These are simple words that we're used to hearing. But the power of that really needs to hit home for us, folks. Jesus forgives us. And verses 8 and 10 parallel each other in some unique ways with verse 9 right in the middle. And I want to show it here in the slide if we can. So verse 8 and 10 both talk about if we say. If we say we have no sin, or if we say we have not sinned. And then the next section, if you flip to the next slide, it talks about deception. The second phrases echo each other. We deceive ourselves, or we make God a liar. Both about deception, if we say we have not sinned. And then the next phrase, either the truth is not in us, or his word is not in us. So there's matching results to this idea of hiding our sin or being deceptive about our sin. So verse 8 and 10 sort of parallel each other and draw our attention to the truth of verse 9, which is right in the middle. But if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So there's kind of two options presented to us. 8 and 10 give us the option of not being honest, <laughs> of deceiving ourselves, of calling God a liar. And if that's true, if we live that life, 
God's word will not abide in us. But we have another option, which is to be honest about our sin and allowing God and his faithfulness to come and to cleanse us. I think what's interesting here is, is it, it calls for a response. There's almost this sense from John that you may have heard about the gospel. You may have heard about Jesus dying on the cross. You may have heard about the resurrection. But until you acknowledge your own personal sin, until you repent and believe, that gospel message has not really taken root. It's one thing to hear the good news, but it's another thing to acknowledge it and believe it and apply it to your life. And so there's a call here to repent and believe. Now that's the initial idea of confession, of course, of of the initial entering into relationship with God. We confess our sins and repent and believe and enter into new life with him. But there's also an ongoing element of confession. There's a sense in which I need to, at, at probably regular times in my life, be open and repent of my own sin, bringing that honestly before God. That can look different in different traditions. I've experienced the more sort of formal liturgical words of confession as well as sort of the informal confession where you just sort of bare your soul to someone who cares for you. And there's something life-giving about both of those. In the, in the more formal words of confession, some of the liturgical traditions, there's something really honest about some of those prayers of saying, this is my own fault. There's really not mincing words around. Sometimes in our secular society, we can emphasize problems as a lack of education or a, the way you were brought up or a lack of wealth, that that's created the problems. But even in our Christian culture, we can talk about, well, the devil maybe caused that, you know, like to blame the devil for something. But really, that's just not true. I mean, the devil or the world may contribute to our strength, but in the end, each of us is individually responsible for our lives and our actions we have to be honest about our own failures and so confessing our sins is part of just acknowledging my fault it's to stop blaming maybe my upbringing for my problems though that can be a real factor for sure but to just realize i need to be responsible for my own decisions there's a benefit of incorporating times of confession of sins and just hearing God's forgiveness in worship services. Sometimes we've, we've done that when we've celebrated the Lord's Supper. When, uh, when we lived in Vancouver, Sarah and I often went to a church where they made this just a regular part of the church. And, and rather than corporate confession becoming this sort of dead routine thing, which, which you may expect to happen, uh, I found saying the words of confessing my sins weekly, publicly with everyone, it actually became really deeply meaningful for me. Um, and it wasn't that, you know, if something happened that week, I was sort of holding on to it till Sunday when it counted. No, you know, it wasn't like that. But to confess my sins and then hear a brother or sister in Christ just proclaim over me God's forgiveness uh, was just incredibly powerful. And it, it this, this Holy Spirit was at work in it. And it was just really, really good. But there's the flip side, too. Jesus has given... All of us, the ministry of confession and forgiveness. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Did you know that we all have the opportunity to minister in that way to each other? Either to confess our sins or to be the person, perhaps, that someone wants to come and, 
and bear their soul too. And in that moment, to, to lovingly receive them, not just to say, well, that's okay, <laughs> you know, to kind of downplay it for them, but to acknowledge that they have sinned, but also then to take seriously and in love and with patience and friendship to pray over them, to speak God's forgiveness and cleansing over them. That can be incredibly powerful. I remember one time when we were in college and uh, we just took a break from our classes and there was opportunity for people to, to go off into pairs and confess their sins to each other. And we, we did this. And uh, the Lord was so at work in that, in sort of breaking open things in people that they had kept hidden and God being able to come in and do his work of healing and cleansing was really, really, really powerful. John says when we confess our sins, whether that's in a, in a church service in some sort of more formal setting or maybe that's in an informal setting with someone that you trust, someone that's a spiritual authority in your life, a pastor maybe or, or a dear friend that you can share that with. John says as we are confessing our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. He arrives with grace, that's that advent, into our souls. But not only to forgive us, but also to cleanse us. And that's our second point, receiving the cleansing of Jesus. Titus 3.5 says this, he puts it this way. He says, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. And in this great picture, he washed away our sins. That's that cleansing idea. Giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Listen to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 again. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right? John doesn't want the church to fall into sin, but there's, a, there's a, just an honesty that that is going to happen. So he says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world. He calls Jesus our propitiation, which is one of those common sort of Christian churchy words that if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that word <laughs> at some point. God who is holy and good won't ignore sin and evil, but God has also covenanted himself to his creation to redeem it, to bless it, and to bring about his blessing to the nations, to people in and through Israel. And so, instead of us bearing the price for our sin, Jesus comes to essentially absorb all the effects of human sin and evil in our place. And that idea of standing in the place of one and absorbing those effects to turn away God's wrath. That's what propitiation is all about. It's this moment on the cross, right, where Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not a moment of weakness. It's the moment of his conquering victory. It's the moment of the greatest triumph. Because of that moment, Jesus is so identified with the sin of the world that the Father turns his face away. And that intimate love that is shared between the Father and the Son from all eternity is severed in that moment as Jesus fully identifies with the sin of humanity takes it upon himself and defeats its power forever. Jesus not only is dying in our place, but there's this part in Luke's gospel where 
he tells the priests as they come to arrest him. He says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness, he says. And so Jesus is taking our sins upon himself, but in a very real real way, he's confronting the power of sin and evil and darkness. And Paul says in Romans uh, Romans 8, verse 3, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. That on the cross, Jesus absorbs the power of sin and evil and at his death and resurrection defeats them with his conquering victory. And in that way, God is both just in dealing with with evil and sin. The, The just punishment is accomplished, but God also can carry on and doesn't give up on his mission to bring blessing to his world and blessing to the nations in and through Israel as Jesus fulfills Israel's vocation. He does all of that so we may be spared. And in that same way, the death and resurrection of Jesus is applied to us personally when we repent and believe, when we are forgiven but also cleansed of all unrighteousness. We confess our sins and find cleansing from God. He arrives with grace in our souls. And this brings me to the third point that I wanted to talk about, the last point. The rest of the little passage that we read, John chapter 2, 3 to 6, is all about living out then the life that we're called to live out as cleansed people. I love that Robbie brought up this morning this idea of, of new life happening. And it really is miraculous new life that happens. When we allow Jesus to come and to cleanse us, there is now, it changes our behavior. It's meant to change our behavior. It's meant to actually shape the way we go and live in the world. Living in response to the cleansing work of Jesus. And so John envisions that because we've been saved by Jesus, we need to walk in a new relationship with God. If you say, I know him, but you don't keep your commandments, you're a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. But this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that's a a bit of a sobering word, I think. If I say I'm a Christian, if I say I'm a believer, it should be evident in the way I carry out my life. And that causes me to pause and just go, Lord, is there areas in my life where I have not been living that out? Is there, and maybe I need to confess that, right? Is there places in my life where I'm not living out the life of Jesus? It's meant to shape not just my own personal life, but actually shape the lives of our churches and our communities. So it actually transforms where we live as we all seek to live out the life of Jesus. This was really true in ancient Rome. If you imagine becoming a Christian in the early centuries of the church where infanticide is commonplace and there's all sorts of, of perverse sexual practices that pervade society and all sorts of violence going on for fun, and then you hear the news of Jesus in that culture and you choose to repent of your sins and believe and you experience God's grace and then you, you go to the local gathering of believers And you find there something really startling. You find the rich and the poor eating together. You find men and women at work and in leadership. 
You find the slaves sitting there and being treated equally with everyone else. And you sit down next to a family with a young baby and you discover that that couple, that husband and wife, has actually rescued that baby off the trash heap where they were left out into the elements to die. And you think, what sort of community is this? This is so different from the violence and the hatred that exists in the culture around me. What is this people that they would live so counterculturally from the norms of the day that their love for Jesus would actually impact how they go about living their lives? Folks, that's our heritage as a church. That's the heritage of the people of God, that our love for Jesus would not just remain a personal thing, but dramatically transform the way we walk and live in society. That's what John calls us to here. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. When Jesus arrives in our souls and we attend to him, it isn't just to cleanse us, to change my own sort of private life. It's meant to transform how I live. And when we all do that, it starts to transform our societies. Notice, too, it's not I'm going to live this way in order to make God like me. It's not a performance thing. It's not a earning God's favor thing. It's not an earning his grace thing. No, no, I live this way out of response to what he's already done for me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And now in gratitude, I want to live this way. I'm not trying to twist God's arm. I'm not trying to score certain points with him. It's in loving response to what he's already done for me. And again, this is what John says in verse 5. Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And maybe there's a bit of a conviction there for some of us. Maybe I haven't been walking in the way that Jesus walked. A life of faith and love and holiness, of hospitality, of obedience, perhaps most of all of self-sacrifice. But rather than that being a guilt thing, where we just say, well, I'm never going to be like Jesus, and of course we're not, and so what's the point, you know? But to see the invitation of Christ calling us along the path and inviting us to follow in his steps, we may do that imperfectly. We'll stumble along the way. But there's such an assurance here from John to say, come along the road, Come with me. Abide in him. Learn the life that he's called you to live. Advent is about welcoming him to come among us. Come have your way among us, we sang this morning. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Not just here in this building this morning, but here in each of our hearts and here in our shared life as a community. Emmanuel, God with us. So this morning, in conclusion, as you hear John's words, do you need to confess your sins to someone? Do you need to hear again that God forgives you and cleanses you of all unrighteousness? Sometimes we just need to hear that in a fresh way. Do you need to keep his commandments? Do you need to live a new life? Is there an area of your life that you've been struggling to live in a way that honors God? Where do you need to know again the grace that comes into our souls? 
He came with love to Bethlehem. He comes with grace into our souls. He'll come with justice at the end of the world. And I think, folks, as we seek to live out the life and love of Jesus, especially this Christmas season, but especially with COVID going on, where there's such fear, there's a lot of anger that comes up as well, a lot of distrust, a lot of confusion. We have the chance, folks, to live out the life and love of Jesus and really impact our city in a really tangible way. I encourage you to do that. So let's pray together. Let's thank God for the gift of his grace. And let's commit ourselves to living in him and walking out his life with love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word, that, Jesus, you came and you preached repentance. You prepare the way for us as sinners to enter into your salvation. Lord, I pray today you would give us grace to put aside our sins, to be honest about how we're doing. Lord, I pray that we would greet you with joy as you come afresh into our hearts. Lord, I pray you would stir up your power, that you would come with might among us, Lord that you would come with your grace, that you would help us, you would deliver us. Lord, I pray that as we would look towards this week ahead, whatever it may bring, with work, with school, friendships, marriage, family, all the dynamics of life, Lord, I pray you would help us to abide in you, to keep your commandments, to live the way you call us to live. Again, Lord, not as a guilt-ridden thing, but out of gratitude and joy, for what you've done for us at the cross. And with the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me? I'd love to speak the benediction over you before you go. Thank you again, Robbie, for being here. It's so good to get that reminder again of what God is doing through Adult and Teen Challenge for our city. That's really exciting. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ. May you know the cleansing power of God in your life. And may you be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you may keep his commandments and live the life of love and faith that Jesus calls us to walk out. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace. Love you guys. Bless you. Have a great week. If you would like prayer this morning, love to pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bless you.